What do you do when it feels like your life is falling apart and you know you're in a trauma response, but you just can't pull out? My guest today is an EMDR certified therapist who is here to explain where and how to find help next time you're at the end of your rope. My name is Colleen Cashman. I'm a soberish recovery coach helping high achieving women get emotionally sober so that drinking less or not at all feels like a superpower. Join me each week for evidence-based holistic strategies to regulate your brain chemistry and nervous system and also develop a growth mindset so you can feel proud, confident, and resilient with or without a drink in your hand because it's not about the alcohol. If you're trying to stop using alcohol to cope with stress and sick of waking up and realizing you did it again, you may be wondering if it's even possible to do this on your own. I want to invite you to my free masterclass this Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern. I will explain exactly why your willpower fails when you need it the most and also why simply taking a break to reset your tolerance won't work anyway. Come and learn how the six components of my proprietary accelerated recovery process work together to holistically restore your mental health so you can stop overthinking alcohol because this is a thinking problem, not a drinking problem. It's not about the alcohol. And if you ever want to be able to drink like a normal person, You have to learn how to feel like a normal person instead of someone who is lost, anxious, broken, overwhelmed, and incapable of making good decisions. Pause this episode and get in the show notes to register now. This is not a pitch for my program. You will get a completely free, big picture understanding of why you're stuck and the specific steps you need to take to escape the cycle of self-sabotage once and for all. You know, it's actually a sign of strength to ask for help. We have been programmed as women to just keep going, to grin and bear it, to suck it up. And this perpetuates this silent suffering because we think the fact that we are struggling means that there is something wrong with us. But how different might your life be if the next time you were struggling, you knew exactly who to call? Because there is, in fact, something that can be done to help you that doesn't include quitting your life or sitting in therapy for years. My guest today is Shelby John, and she is an EMDR certified therapist, and she also hosts the Confident Sober Women podcast. She has a Facebook group, too, and I put that in the show notes. But she is here today with a breath of fresh hope because... EMDR is an evidence-based, highly effective modality that allows you to move through trauma without a lot of talking. Our interview today begins with how Shelby was able to get sober after being arrested at a professional conference in front of her peers. And while that was her rock bottom, she soon discovered there was such a thing as sober bottoms and how she came to terms with the fact that even when you're doing all the right things, 
Sometimes you just need help. And as a therapist, she was introduced to EMDR and how that has become her preferred modality when she's working with clients who are practicing self-care and they just need a little tune-up. Shelby goes in deep as to what EMDR is, how it works, and where you can go to find a qualified therapist. So let's dive into the episode. Hi, Shelby. Thank you so much for joining the show today. I'm so excited to talk to you. I've been following you for a while. Yours was actually one of the first private Facebook groups I joined as a sober woman, you know, in the early days when I was trying to figure out how all of this would work. And you were just really an inspiration to me in the way you talk about sobriety and how welcoming and inviting you make the topic and you create a community. So I'm really honored. I'm a little, what do you say, fangirl (laughs) to have you here. So I appreciate you coming on the show today. Would you introduce yourself and tell my listeners who you are and what you do? Sure. Thank you so much for that. That was so kind. I'm so thankful to have you as part of my community as well. And as fellow podcasters, it's fun to be able to, and sober women, it's fun to be able to kind of share in this experience with each other to bring hope and the message of recovery to all the women out there who are waiting to hear it. Yeah. My name is Shelby John and I am a woman in long-term recovery. I am also a therapist. I have a clinical practice where I do EMDR therapy. I specialize in trauma, addictions, and anxiety. And then I have a coaching program that I work with sober women who have been sober for more than a year to many years to help them kind of elevate themselves beyond that initial stage of recovery. So I got sober in July 1st, 2002. I was, I turned 27 when I was in rehab and my life has been dramatically different, obviously since then, right? hundred percent different. So I was the girl as the young girl who was never pretty enough, thin enough, smart enough, good enough for any group I was in. And that's just kind of how my life went. I just never felt like I was enough of any of the things. And so, you know, in high school, I was actually in this sort of popular crowd or around it. I had the boyfriend who then now is my husband. I was an athlete. I went to college. My drinking really didn't start taking off until I was in college. My parents were pretty strict. I was the oldest. And so they had a pretty tight handle on things and I was afraid of them, frankly. So I was not really though when I was a young person, just kind of feeling depressed and uh, chaos. I say I was really living in chaos. What I know now that was probably anxiety. We just didn't really call it that back then. When I went to college, I was kind of off to the races, right? I was living free and wild and really learned how to drink like a good alcoholic and lots of other things that are not really nice to share (laughs) with other people. And, you know, I I somehow survived it. I I always wonder, you know, I feel like God is my higher power, who I choose to call God, is really was with me the whole time. And I put myself in a lot of situations that were uh, dangerous. I was a blackout drinker and, and it just wasn't. A good thing. I was also just a depressive drunk. You know, I had two suicide attempts and just never, I just wasn't, I had problems with food, overexercise, all of the things. And so, you know, at the end of my drinking for me, I was arrested at a conference in Washington, DC in front of all of hundreds of other social workers and foster care youth. And I had no idea why. So I share more about that in my memoir and in the TED talk and stuff. You can learn the whole story, but you know, that was the end of my drinking. So I wasn't really somebody who was saying, oh, I think my drinking is a problem. I should go 
to rehab or, oh, I should stop. In fact, I was the exact opposite. But luckily for me, that situation did happen and then forced me into a potentially career ending legal situation that kind of gave me no other choice at that point than to do something about this drinking. And that for me was to go to rehab. And, and then I got sober in 12 step program. And so, you know, that's where the journey began for me. You know, I was beginning to wake up to the reality of what it means to be, I call myself an alcoholic. I'm old and I got sober a while ago before alcohol free and substance use disorder and all of these other modern day concepts that we talk about today. And that's just how it was for me. And I'm not afraid of that label or ashamed of it. It's just who I am and what I own. It's what works for me. And then I got sober in 12 step programs and did the work. You know, I did all the 12 step things. I also did lots of therapy. I had some childhood trauma and things I really needed to work through that I found out was the root of my problem. And also just trying to save my marriage and work on those things. I got pregnant when I was six months sober. And then 18 months later, I had my second child. And two years later, I had my third kid. So I had three kids in four years when I was brand new sober. So I wouldn't necessarily recommend that. But it's what happened for me. And obviously, I wouldn't change it for the world. But it did mean that I did my sobriety a little backwards. You know, I was doing all this mom stuff. I was super in involved and engrossed in the baby stuff and raising kids. And then I woke up on in year four and kind of had what I call my first sober bottom where I was like, okay. oh my gosh, here I am completely overwhelmed. Almost like I felt at the end of my drinking, but I wasn't picking up anything. And that's when I really needed to dig in and start doing more work. And, and I learned a lot about other complementary kinds of medicine, like acupuncture, meditation, much more spiritual things. And I really dove into a lot of that. Can you say more about what a sober bottom is? I don't know. I'm sure I've heard that, but to hear you say that, I just want to hear you say more because I definitely would describe some of my experiences, but more in the early days of having a sober bottom. What did that mean to you? So actually it's a term that I use frequently and I don't know if other people use it, but for me it works because it just, it means that I was really at the kind of in that same space, like at the end of my drinking. So I was at the bottom, right? I was in the depths of that, that despair. And I didn't want to drink or use, and I didn't want to die. I just wasn't well, you know, I was overly mm -hmm. emotional. I felt completely out of control in my life. I felt like I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to handle things. It was just very overwhelming, I guess, is the best way to describe it. And, and, you know, if you're a regular person or if you have children or if you've been around people who have children, if you looked at my life or if you saw that, you probably wouldn't be surprised because I had these three babies. I had a husband that worked a huge job. I had a lot of support. My parents were very helpful and other things, but I was still trying to do all this stuff. And I wasn't really hadn't really worked that hard on my own personal recovery part of things because I became a mom so quickly, right? So I was in the baby stages of that building confidence and self-love and trust, which I, I mean, for me, frankly, that took 10 years probably or more. So that's how I would describe it. Just to play. And I, that's happened to me multiple times in my 21 years of sobriety. I've it's happened to me. I, I remember when I celebrated at 10 years, I, I still went regularly to a lot of meetings and I, I was celebrating my anniversary at um, a 12 step meeting. And I was really in an angry space. I'm not exactly sure what was going on then. I guess my, I had issues with my uh, kids at different times. They weren't quite teenagers yet then, but I was just not great. And I remember standing there and saying how pissed off I was that I wasn't further along. I was 10 years sober. I should be further along by now, you know, and I was mm -hmm. so 
annoyed by this. I don't, I didn't want to continue to have to work that hard. And so I feel, and then when my kids were teenagers, they're 20, 18 and 16 now, but when they were early high school and uh, we went through a lot of trauma, a lot of very difficult times. And to me, that was also a time of sober bottom. So the reason the title of my podcast is It's Not About the Alcohol is I feel that it's so important to distinguish between the behavior of not drinking and recovery because sobriety itself is not actually a coping skill. <laughs> you know, it just allows you to have the coping skills. So it sounds, you know, at various times and round in the corner on 10 years of sobriety, feeling like you had earned feeling better was still connecting sobriety and recovery as being the same thing. Can you talk about what you learned from those sober bottoms and from that experience of frustration of I'm doing all the things right. Why am I not happy and rich and getting younger every day? Sure. So in the first, the first experience I had around that year four or five mark, I believe that I was just so overwhelmed with the, the life stuff. You know, I was still really involved with the program, which I think was what makes some of these things so astounding. You know, I was attending a lot of meetings. I was doing stuff work. I had a sponsor at the time. I was even doing a lot of therapy and things. But when you put all those things together in that package, it's a lot of growth. There's a lot of things happening and changing and we don't live our lives in a vacuum. You know, I, I was married, I have a family that I'm close to. And so I didn't get to just sit around and sing Kumbaya and eat bonbons on my sofa while I meditated for two hours a day, right? I was doing all of these things in the midst of everything else that we have to do in life. And so it's not about the alcohol or the drug or the food or any of it. It's really about our own state of mind, our own energy, our own willingness to feel and experience and sit with the difficult feelings. I think that's where I was in those earlier days and is that unmanageability around emotions. And so, yeah, you take the drink and drug away and of course you're going to feel better. You know, even if all you did was stop using substances, you're going to feel better. Most people are going to feel better. Now there are a bunch that are out there white knuckling it, right? Who are not going to feel better because they're not doing anything else to fill themselves up, right? So if you're just white knuckling it and you're like, oh, I'm not going to drink, you know, good for you. Your health will improve most likely, but your emotional state probably won't because you're not going to be, you know, diving into the work, as we say, right? The stuff of emotional sobriety, which is that place that I love to meet women too, and maybe you do, is that after that first year, you know, when we're building that emotional sobriety and, and self-love, that takes a really long time. And it's a major identity shift for me and for most of the women that I know to go from kind of who you were in active addiction then who you were in early sobriety that first year, and then who you want to become beyond that as a sober woman. And we go through those phases, you know, you've been around a while too, multiple times, you know, now I'm facing empty nests. I have one kid left in high school and I'm like, what in the actual heck? You know, I've really struggled with letting my other two go, still dealing with that. And now I'm facing this next one. And who am I now? Who do I want my future sober woman self to be? And that's another identity shift. So I think there's always going to be these times of transition and these times of challenge to our 
sobriety slash recovery, right? For me, it's never really been about picking up the drink or the drug, but I will say I do other things that are really harmful to myself in those tough times. And I use food now to do the same things that alcohol has done. And so we can figure out a way to harm ourselves without a substance if we're clever enough, most of us. So it's not always about the drugs. Right. Yeah. It's about being willing to feel the feelings and understand because there's always going to be something. I mean, I know for me, I have recently realized, oh, I might have a touch of workaholism. You know, I noticed that, and here's why I knew that, because I was at a party with my husband's brother. I didn't know anybody. We were staying at the house and I, you know, circuited the room. I, the drinking didn't bother me. You know, I had even intended, I'm not a hundred percent sober. I had intended, oh, I'm going to have a drink, but I was really anxious and I don't mess with that. And so within a couple hours, I I didn't have the drink because I know better, but I was in my room getting my computer out and I'll just type a few emails and get, get ahead of some things. And the next day I was like, whoa, you're using work to cover up your anxiety, you know? So yeah, it's just kind of a constant game of whack-a-mole unless you're willing to look at the fact that it is the feelings and the story in your head that's the problem, not all of the other stuff. I'm really curious as if you could step outside of your journey and then just the journey in general of recovery and share your perspective from a therapist as a professional licensed, you know, mental health professional, how do you see this process? Um, And, you know, maybe parallel from your own experience of it, but this whole time, it sounds like you've been working with other people. Why is it that it's easier or is it easier to help other people? And then why is it so hard? What is it? Where's the blind spot when it comes Mm -hmm. to seeing the same things that seem so obvious when we give advice and help to other people that are so hard to grasp for ourselves? That's a good question. The second part, I'm not sure if I'll have a good answer. I'll take a stab at it. I think my perspective as a therapist is one of um, a healing journey and not to be uh, very cliche about it, but it is just that. It is a process, I guess is what I mean by saying journey, because I I have the benefit of doing EMDR therapy, which is a phenomenal uh, neurologically based form of trauma treatment that really does help other, help people to heal their trauma at the molecular level of the brain. So we're literally clearing out the neuropathways that were created way back whenever those early traumas started and then continue to carve out paths in our brain and create dysfunctional thinking patterns and emotional strategies for life, right? So I have the benefit of being able to watch other people commit to that and experience. I've also done it myself. That's one of the reasons why I got trained that way. Cause that's the, the therapy I did early on it commit to doing this level of work that is very painful. I mean, you're sitting in the story, you're sitting in the mess, but you're clearing it out, but it's very shortish term compared to traditional talk therapy. So there's an end in sight. That's not, years away. We're talking months to maybe, you know what I mean? And so my clients get the benefit of stepping into that, being willing to show up and say, I had these hard things and, and then go with me while I guide them to their healing. A lot of times this is a direct 
correlation to our substance use because we know from the research that all substance use comes from trauma, right? There's none of this that doesn't relate to trauma. And so one, so then chicken or egg, right? So is it the trauma pain that's causing you to drink? Is it then the drinking that's creating more trauma? Like it's so, but to me, there always is going to be that initial stuff that was there. And if you can't get to that, if we can't, this is why we see, in my opinion, this is why we partly why we see like chronic relapsers. If we can't get to that and heal it, then it's never going to go away. And so you're never going to have a reason not to drink or use over it. Right. Cause you're going to need the substance to deal with the pain of that stuff. So it's like, you can't, you can't really have one without the other. That's why when you take away the substance, you got to replace it with something. You got to put some other things in. So the, the topic of EMDR just came up and I have a client for you Hmm. because she's struggling and, you know, making all these cognitive commitments and a hundred percent buy-in and can see the vision for what she wants, but she can't seem to get past, you know, a couple of divots in the road that keep setting her back. Mm -hmm. So can you say more about, like, I, I, just to put it into context, like we've decided, we've discovered that there's some some trauma around feeling Mm -hmm. safe Mm -hmm. in her home, feeling safe, physically safe. Mm -hmm. And so I realized, okay, you're going to need a modality. There's some trauma here. This isn't you. This isn't a lack of willpower. This isn't some secret part of you that's Mm -hmm. rebelling. I mean, this is trauma. And so we, I discussed EMDR with her. Mm -hmm. Can you say like to anybody else who would be listening, like maybe with the example I've given you, like, how would you approach that? What would that look like? What is EMDR? Sure. So EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And it is a neurologically based form of trauma treatment that helps us to reprocess those old and disturbing events from our life. And what happens is the brain, our brain is so powerful that generally speaking, we take on input. And by the way, trauma is a buzzword that we hear a lot now, but it is all very relative to all of us. We all have it. Okay. So it's, some of us have the big capital T stuff, the first responder stuff, war veterans. If you've been in major, you know, incidents, accidents, had major sexual trauma, physical abuse, things like that. And then we all have the lowercase T stuff just from life. You know, those, it can be things like words people said to you or a bully or, you know, watching the news or experiencing something when you're out in public. There's, I mean, we live in a life that creates plenty of opportunity for this. And what's it's relative, meaning what happens for you, like the same exact situation could happen to us. And for you, your brain and your life experience and your ability might be able to process that through just fine. You kind of feel the feelings like, oh my gosh, you're sad about it. And then your brain kind of deals with the feelings and then you move on. Whereas I might be like, oh my gosh, this is life-changing and I can't move past it. And now the negative beliefs about myself have been formed. Like I'm not safe. I'm not good enough. I'm a failure. You know, I'm not worthy, things like that. And then those get stored in that back part of our brain, which is that hippocampus or reptilian part of the brain. And they stay there until we, we deal with it. So EMDR uses what we call bilateral stimulation. Bilateral means left, right, left, right with certain with specific tools and modalities to create that, to tap into that back part of the brain, reprocess those old and disturbing events, and then restore it in the front part of our brain with a much more positive belief about yourself. So it doesn't give you amnesia. You're not going to forget the thing happened, but you are going to have a way less to none emotional stimulation when you think back on that. In addition, 
ideally when you have another experience that's similar or has the same kind of flavor, you're not going to have a, a major trigger or reaction. So that's a little bit about what that looks like. So with your friend or client who's feeling like she's not safe, I mean, the first task would be to figure out when that the first time she felt that was. So I would say to her, when you think back on your life, when is the first time you can remember not feeling safe? And I'm just going to make it up. So she might say, yeah. when I was five years old, my mom left me in my house to go to work with my baby sister. And I was by myself. I didn't know what to do. And she didn't come home until the next day. And so she did that frequently. And so, so frequently I didn't know how to take care of my sister and she was crying and, you know, and this is how she grew up or it could be somebody who was, did have a, a sexual or physical abuse history. You know, that creates a lot of safety issues or things like people who have violence in their homes, you know, domestic violence or a lot of kind of transient people coming through boyfriends or other people like a lot of substance abusers have a lot of strangers, you know, in their homes. So if you grew up in that kind of environment, safety is going to be a primary concern for you. So then once you identify those things, you would identify what the issue is, the we call it a target experience. So for example, say it was my mom left me home with my sister. That would be the target experience. And then I would say, what is the negative belief you have about yourself today? When you look back on that, she might say, I'm not safe. She she also might not say, she also might say, what, you know, what questions like, why would she do that? You know, I'm scared, you know, am I, am I not worthy enough to have a babysitter, you know, things like that. And so then we use the processing, this the bilateral simulation to process through that particular target. Oh, we scale it first on a zero to 10 basis. How strongly does this feel to you emotionally today? It's like an eight. Okay. And then where do you feel it in your body? Cause the body holds trauma differently than our brains do. So we want to clear all of that out as well. And then we use the processing to de-escalate all of that until we get all the way down to zero. And that can take three to four sessions, sometimes longer, depending on the person and their experiences. And when we end, there's no emotional stimulation anymore. When you look back on that situation, and then the last part is to identify what the positive belief you have about yourself is today. Now, when you look back and you might say something like, it wasn't my fault or, you know, I did the best yeah. I could. Yeah. Do you see a lot of rapid, of course, over the three to four sessions, but for a lifetime problem, that's pretty rapid. Do you see rapid transformation and is it a one or three or four and done? Is there integration work? Is there times where people come back and they've made some progress and then something creeps back in? You know, what can people expect in terms of permanent changes and how much follow-up is there or is needed? So one of the reasons why I love EMDR therapy and why I chose it as a modality to use in my practice is because it is because of the speed at which we can work. I always tell my clients that I'm not a long-term therapist. I don't want to hold you hostage for two, three, five years. That's not my job. I want to get you in here. Let's deal with all of the things that we can and then kind of send you off into the world. And then yes, you come back when things come up. So for example, I did a ton of my work when I first got sober. It took me a little while. I had to work through all that stuff. And then I went back at different stage, ages and stages. I was really struggling with my oldest daughter. She had some behavior problems that were really challenging. We were dealing with that, just parenting stuff. And I was really feeling 
like inept, I guess, you know, not just lost. So I went back for a tune up. Right. And so what's beautiful about it is you already know how to do it. Like you already know what this is about. You've already done a lot of the work. And so generally it only takes, you know, a little bit of time, a few sessions, maybe a little bit longer to deal with whatever's going on at that time. I've done that multiple times. Then the same thing happened when she went to high school, I was completely triggered out of the blue. Like, I mean, it wasn't totally out of the blue, but I just couldn't, I, I was out of control, frankly, emotionally. And my husband and I weren't in agreement with where she should go to high school. And I had my own concerns and I could not solve that by myself. I tried all my things and it just didn't work. So I had to go back and then it just cleaned it up and go my way. So it is a beautiful thing. I have clients constantly call me back. Hey, this is coming up or Hey, this new thing. And a lot of times we maybe did the work, you know, how this works, right? I already worked on my parents' divorce or my father issues or whatever. Okay, cool. We did, but now something's coming up and there's another layer. So we just yes. kind of go with that. I don't, it's not like that we didn't do it pesky before. onion. Right. Yeah. The, right. There's new realizations and sometimes you can re-traumatize yourself by adding new layers of meaning to things. I mean, it's, we are work in progress. You know, it is a lifelong journey. I don't think the goal is to resolve all your issues. I don't think we get out of earth school without any issues. I think the goal is to know how to resolve your issues mm -hmm. and to develop the tools for yourself to identify what the real problem is, which isn't that you need to lose weight or that you are complete and drunk. You know, it's the behavior that's a symptom of the trauma the unhealed emotional wounds and the lack of tools that you have to deal with them. And when you shift your diagnosis of the problem to the source, it becomes, you know, just a matter of how mm -hmm. <laughs> instead of impossible. You're so right about that. I find that there's questions that I ask myself and I always advise my clients to as well. When things come up, I say things like, what is this about? You know, when I'm disturbed yes. or when I'm starting to feel unrest, you know, in myself or I'm particularly irritable or combative about something, I say, what is, what's going on right now? What is this about? You know, or what about this situation is bothering me? I usually do that. Yes. Why am I making this a problem? Mm -hmm. Like well, with where mm -hmm. your daughter's going to school, the problem is not where your daughter's going to high school or even that you and your husband don't agree. The problem is coming from inside. Why do you see mm -hmm. this as a problem? Why are you experiencing it? Mm -hmm. You know, what's down in there? And what yeah. am I afraid of? That's always a, a big question for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's fat. I love the EMDR stuff. We could, I could, I might even title the episode according to EMDR. Is there anything else that we would want to say? Because I've not done an episode on EMDR and I think that's what I want to pull out of this to talk about. I guess with integ integration oh, work, asked is, about, is there- What was the second part of your question? Yeah. There are other modalities. Yeah. Other integration. I asked if there was integration, you know, once you do the initial- session or sessions, mm -hmm. then is it just the awareness that's possible or is there integration work? Or well, does that it's already, sense? I don't think there's integration work isn't necessary because the healing has already happened. I mean, like the EMDR is it. However, there are some pretty cool modalities because EMDR is no longer new. It's been around since 1984 and heavily studied. There's a ton of other things that are cropping up things like brain spotting, 
you know, also internal family systems, like the parts work that's been huge. in the correlation with, uh, actually just did a training on this last week, the integration of EMDR with IFS. And I love it because I like, I really like parts work a lot. I think it's so powerful and important for us to be able to identify, first of all, to understand that there are many parts to us and then begin to identify what they are for us individually. Now I'm not a specialist in this area, but I do pull it out in a very kind of elementary way to work with people, particularly on their younger child, little girl self, and also the relationship. Like I just had a client today that I've worked with for a little while and uh, she's a lovely woman. She's done great things and was having trouble. We were working on a relationship she had. Now she's an older woman and she had a relationship in her younger years and it, it ended poorly. And there was some decisions made that were very difficult and painful. And we worked on it. We used EMDR. It took a lot of sessions because she was hanging on to it. She kind of really wanted to feel this way. And part of it was she was feeling bad about getting to the place where she didn't feel bad about it anymore because she was afraid to not feel bad about it anymore because she thought that would mean that she didn't care. And so today when I met with her, we talked about that particular part and we had already done a ton of work around her little girl part. She comes from a lot of trauma, a lot of historical generational trauma with abuse and neglect. And so we've done a lot of work around that, but this other young girl part, this young girl that was in this relationship part, we hadn't really addressed. I mean, we did the EMDR, but today we were, she was feeling so much better and really at peace about a lot of it. But when I said that part, I said, last week we ended and I, and you said, I'm afraid to say this is a zero or even a one, because that might mean I don't care. So we talked about that thing and the duality about of having two feelings at the same time. So we can be at peace and like free from a thing and also believe and know that it wasn't the right thing. Like you can not agree with the choice you made, right? You can say, I didn't, I don't like the choice that I made, but I also know it was the right thing for me. That's the better way to say that. Like it was the right decision for her at that time in her life, but she's also sad that she had to make that choice. So the yeah. two things can or be the same. I like the, I was doing the best I could with what I knew and what I was capable of. I've always been doing my best. But she was That's doing That's a big that. one to swallow. She lo- And she agreed Go with ahead. that, but she still believed that she, what she did wasn't okay. And okay. so um, to me, the in between of that was the, and she used the word acceptance. And I, so I went with it and said, it sounds like what you're doing is forgive is forgiveness. You're starting to forgive yeah. yourself. And she became very teary yeah. and was like, I don't know why I'm tearful. And I'm like, and we talked about that. And we talked about self soothing that older, that young woman self, that older child, you know, she wasn't a child. She was a young woman and, and the adult, more confident, a self-loving person today can be with that young woman and soothe her and give her what she yeah. didn't need because she was still so insecure then. So that's how we can yeah. use parts work also with EMDR. Some therapists who are probably more skilled at that can even do it while they're doing their EMDR sessions in a way that's even extremely more effective. But there's just these other modalities that are really coming out brain spotting. I'm not trained in brain spotting, but a lot of my colleagues are and, and they're finding it to be even deeper work than EMDR. So it's really good for trauma and for addictions, because like I said before, it's really tough to get 
solid recovery consistently if you're not healing the trauma work since most people are drinking and using because of their trauma. Yeah. And it's sobriety isn't a coping skill, Mm -hmm. you know, and life continues to go on whether you're drinking or not. And there's always going to be, you know, I mean, I've heard that the ending is we all die. (laughs) I I don't know, you know, so at some point we're going to have to deal with these things. And that's why I try to help people move as quickly as they can off the focus of why you were drinking or what's wrong with you in, in context of alcohol to just, you know, I need better coping skills. That's what I'm looking for. I love, thank you so much for sharing the EMDR work. Can you be clear, like big picture of how somebody would work with you if they wanted an EMDR session or, you know, because I know as you're a therapist, Mm -hmm. you also have a group that I think I was on that was a Facebook group or Mm -hmm. whatever. How do all those pieces connect? Give me the big picture for real. Sure. So as a therapist, I'm licensed in the state of Maryland and in Florida. So we have licensure per state. So that means we cannot practice outside of our state lines. So one of the reasons why Mm -hmm. I wanted to integrate a coaching model into that practice, which I know you have as well, was because I wanted to be able to expand my reach and help women beyond those state lines. So I can't do therapy beyond my state licenses which means I can't do EMDR that way. However, I'm never going to be not a therapist. So I don't just take my therapist hat off when I'm working with somebody. Um, and there's other tools that we can use like EFT, emotional freedom technique. We, I use oils, uh, a ton of natural wellness stuff, meditation, spiritual practices, um, even just some other uh, forms of like baby MDR, I guess I call it, you know, but that are not like full on processing. So we, I bring that stuff to the table to help support people who can't come to my actual room for therapy. Um, And so I want to be clear then to anybody who's looking for an EMDR practitioner, that has to be a licensed therapist. So if you have found somebody who's doing EMDR and the, the issue doesn't come up of what state you live in, that would be a red flag, correct? (laughs) It would be for me. I'm not really a big fan of breaking any of my ethical rules just because I don't want to lose my license. I do. I have seen some people like on social media doing things like the flash technique, which is an EMDR modality. And I actually questioned that particular person at one point, and I can't remember her answer, but some people don't mind, you know, they don't mind kind of expanding into, I personally just don't, it's not worth the risk for me. So if you want to find one though, that's in your area, you can go to Emdria, it's E-M-D-R-I-A.org, Emdria.org. That's our kind of governing body and search for a provider. Not, I guess probably not every provider is on there, but there are a lot. So in your particular state or country, you can find a provider most likely listed there. Okay. So what I just learned is that EMDR is a licensed clinical specialist modality. It is not like I would love, I love to go to courses and learn new things. And I'm like, I want to learn and do EMDR. But what I'm hearing you say that I think is important for the audience to know is that EMDR is actually a, a professional skill that requires a licensed clinician. Right. You have to have a master. You have to be a master's level social worker or psychologist or counselor master's level before you can take EMDR training. Okay. That's very Mm -hmm. helpful. Mm -hmm. 
All right. So can you just give us your handles and all the websites? Like how would somebody find you? Where are you? And also you have a podcast, so make sure you mention that. Yeah. So I have a podcast. It's called Confident Sober Women. It's on all the major platforms. You can reach it wherever you listen. I It comes out every Tuesday morning. There's 147 episodes now, so there's plenty for you to kind of binge listen to on all kinds of topics related to emotional sobriety and kind of living well beyond recovery. I'm on uh, Facebook mostly because that's where my group is. So the group is also called Confidence Over Women. You're welcome to join. It's free and private. I'm on Instagram. It's Shelby J. John. I'm not super prevalent there, but you can always message me there or any of the places. I'm also on LinkedIn. Okay. All right. And then your private practice is in Maryland or online via Florida? Correct. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. This has been such an informative conversation. I didn't even know that's where we were going to go with it, but I guess the universe has other plans and that's a topic that I've been interested in and we've been talking about. So I feel much more informed and I so appreciate you sharing your expertise here. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks. All right. So thank you for listening. I hope you found that episode as enlightening and informative and action oriented as I did. I have not yet done EMDR, but I have met a few therapists and it is on my bucket list for the next time I'm struggling and I need to work through something. It's just really good to know that there's something like that out there that can help. And so if you found this episode helpful, please share, whether it be sharing it on your social or texting the link to a friend. We just need to work together to spread the word that we have options. And I know from experience, when I am in a dark place, when I don't know who to call and what to do and it doesn't feel easy, it just perpetuates the suffering. So share this show, share this episode, And then connect with me if you have any questions. DM me on Instagram, message me on Facebook, or reply to one of my emails. And finally, before I go, I do want to say that I did launch a secret podcast. It's not really a secret podcast like I'm recording episodes. I created a course called The Foundations of Emotional Sobriety, and I've packaged it in eight really simple 10-minute audio versions. So when you get the secret podcast link, you'll get a link to download the workbook and the magic is in actually doing the work, not just listening, but you can use the course over and over again with different situations of your life, whether you're making a decision or struggling with conflict in a relationship or whatever. So if you get in the show notes, you can get the link to the secret podcast and Again, it's not a podcast, it's a course, but I've made it a secret podcast because then it is super accessible and you can just access it right on your phone. You don't have to log into my website and it is completely free. It is my gift to you as being a regular listener of this show. So take advantage of that. And then reach out and let me know if you liked the course, if it helped, how you're using it. I love feedback because it just informs my next decisions for what I want to do next. So anyway, thank you for listening. And I will see you on Tuesday for my interview with Kate Donovan on why resentment is a superpower. I'll see you next week.